You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new 110 Ultralight. At about 6 pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel makes it durable and lightweight. The rifle comes equipped with the Savage AccuFit technology, so that means it's adjustable and it comes in a variety of calibers. The 308, the 270, the 28 Nosler, the 280 Ackley Improved, the 30 out 6 and much more. If you want to find out more information about the 110 Ultralight, visit savagearms.com. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today... We have a really cool interview with a guy from Michigan who says that hunting Michigan is not as bad as everybody says it is. He feels like there's some kind of stereotype with hunting in Michigan, that there's only small bucks, that there is lots of pressure. And yes, he may agree that there's some pressure, but he also thinks that if a guy's willing to work hard enough for it, he can run into some really, really good deer. And that's what today's topic is about. Now, before we get into today's episode, we're going to do a little commercial like we always do. And we are going to, let's see here, Wasp Archery. Now, you guys know that I have been a huge fan of wasp broadheads for several years now i shot the jackhammers for i think the jackhammers were actually the first mechanical broadhead that i ever bought with my own money and when i took the jump and spent a whole bunch of money on my new setup uh, new arrows a new bow back in like 2006 or five or six or something like that I bought wasp broadheads and I bought the jackhammers and I killed a lot of deer, a lot of does, uh, went into the freezer with wasp uh, jackhammer mechanicals. And then as I started getting into, you know, bigger game elk and uh, wanting heavier arrow sets and, and learning a little bit about how, you know, broadheads fly and all this stuff, I decided I wanted to kind of switch not that there's anything wrong with mechanicals, but me personally and where I felt confident, I felt confident with a fixed blade and that recently has been the Boss 4 blade. Those are my two go-to uh, my go-to heads. I love Wasp made in America, you know, participants of the sport and you know, you call the company if you have a problem and they will answer and they will help you with your, you know, with your problems. So they have awesome customer service, awesome product. So if you want to find out more information, visit wasparchery.com. And I got a discount code here for you. The discount code is nine fingers. So the number nine followed by the word fingers, 2020, nine fingers, 2020. And that's going to save you 20% off of your purchase. Huge fan of wasp. Go check them out. Wasparchery.com. So really quick before we get into this episode I was able to check my trail cameras for the first time this year and although I did have a really good buck and if you want to see that buck go and check out my Instagram page Nine Finger Chronicles and uh, I'm going to make a post there later today 
with that buck. But one thing that really threw me for a loop was typically this time of year, especially in uh, you know early July, a lot of the big boys are around. And other than this one big deer, the next deer was probably a two or three year old. And I, I was thinking for a little bit and it was like, oh man, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. But then I thought, you know what? I should be lucky to have what I have on this <laughs> on this farm. It's just an, it's just unusual, and that's where it kind of threw me for a loop. Where I, you know I'm typically seeing lots of deer, lots of big mature bucks this time of year, and then they shift. However, I think a lot of this has to do with crop rotation right now. The beans are not quite ready to where the the deer are going to be hitting the beans really hard. And for this year, it is a corn year, what I call a corn year on the farm or in the area that I hunt. And uh, so there's corn up top, beans on the bottom. And when there's beans up top and corn on the bottom, I tend to get better trail camera pictures. However, with that said, um, I I think that it's going to it's going to recover here in the next uh, couple weeks once the the beans really start to uh, pot out and you know that late July early August time frame where they're in the beans they're eating the pods they're just destroying it getting that protein and I think then my luck will start to change as more deer absorb into the farm but until then it's just this uh, one good buck and then uh, a couple immature deer not complaining just wanted to share that information with you. Go check out the Instagram page to see that buck. But now, let's get into the Michigan Ain't So Bad podcast. All right. Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. On the phone with me today, I have Mr. Trevor Kuhn. Trevor, what's up, man? Uh, nothing much. Just looking forward to talking about the podcast. Yeah, absolutely, man. So let's see here. Let's kick this podcast off like we always do. Where are you from, and what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm Trevor Kuhn. I'm a 19-year-old college student. goes to Ferris State University uh, for mechanical engineering. And currently, I work up at Beaver Island Boat Company in Charlotte, Michigan. Okay. All right. So are, are you from northern Michigan then? Uh, born and raised. Okay. All right. So you've kind of uh, been around the block a, a time or two when it comes to uh, hunting in that part of the state. Oh, absolutely. Okay. All right. So you're 19 years old and you come, do you come from a a hunting family or is it something that you picked up on your own? I definitely come from a hunting family, probably going back generations on generations. Okay. So, uh, your, your dad, you have any brothers? I mean, is that, do, do you guys fall into the, the typical Michigan hunting family where you guys are, uh, you know, you take part in the gun season, you take part in the archery season, and just kind of live that outdoor lifestyle? Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, luckily, last year, I didn't have to hunt into the um, gun season because I already had 90 year harvested a uh, month into the season. So, um, but other than that, yeah, family's always hunted bow, rifle, and we've just had a lot of hunting in our family. Yeah, okay. Well, you know, typically we BS for a little bit, but I'm kind of intrigued in what you have to say because you sent me a message on Instagram basically saying that you don't necessarily necessarily believe in the Michigan stereotype of it being a, you know, a bad state for finding good bucks or, um, you know, you don't necessarily agree with that stereotype. Um, so I want to kind of just dive right into it and ask you why, because this, you don't believe that, which makes me happy because I'm coming to Michigan to hunt, uh, this fall in, uh, probably mid October. And I want to, I want to hear what you have to say about Michigan. I want to hear about what your experience is throughout the years of, you know, finding, let's just say big bucks or mature bucks that other people say don't exist in the state. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, I'd definitely say uh, since about 2014 when a- APRs uh, were like fully put into effect up here, um, 
it it was almost an instant impact. Uh, I have some data pulled up here that I got, I believe, it's from the DNR, but it's posted on this Facebook page, Mission Buck Owners, Let Them Go, Let Them Grow. And in the county I hunt, which is predominantly Antrim and Emmett and Kalkaska, in 2014, 40% of the bucks harvested were three and a half uh, years old and above. Um, and that went even higher um, in Charlevoix, where in 2014, 61% of bucks shot were above three and a half years old. Were, th- um, were three and a half years three. old and above? Yes. Okay, okay. So when up until the antler point restrictions were implemented what was hunting like mm-hmm. before the antler point restrictions was it was it the stereotype or was it still good i'd say uh if you had large tracts of private land and you were a diehard hunter like uh Pole or somebody up in here in grand traverse county you you shot the average um typical michigan year and a half year old six point eight point stuff like that like everybody saw yeah um, but once once the APRs were introduced, people really learned about deer and learned um, that meat hunting is basically a fad um, because the older a buck gets, obviously, the more meat that that buck has. So that's just been debunked. Yeah. So with that said, then, um, did you see just from your experience, you know, giving it one year, right? So nothing, you know, you shoot, people are shooting whatever they want at any bucks they want spikes and forks. And then that antler point restriction, uh, was implemented and it wouldn't, it wouldn't be the year that it was implemented, but it would be the following year that you would be seeing the results. So as a, yep. as a guy who spent a lot of time in the tree, uh, that following year that the APRs were introduced, what did you notice about the that season that was different? Uh, I noticed there wasn't nearly as many uh, like button bucks that we call them up here, or uh, the forks. It was just I don't know. And also with APRs after that, the following year, you also let those bucks that had those good genetics, you know, those um, even the five points that were legal. Um, after the APRs, people just weren't normally shooting them because they knew that that buck, unless somebody else saw it, was going to live. Yeah. Um, so those bucks got to breed longer, um, and it doesn't always correlate after that first year. You could have a forked buck that has great genetics that breeds that year, and then his big jump is when he's two and a half or three and a half, when he's at already at three and a half, 120 inch, eight point, ten point. Yeah. In Michigan, um, because up where I live, it's cedar swamp, big hardwoods, or a lot of ag land. Okay, so what was the was there any community pushback, uh, hunting community pushback, uh, people that were against the antler point restrictions, and what was that conversation like between the DNR and the hunting community? I'd definitely say there was pushback. Um, and mostly it was, you know, the cliche, the government can't tell me what to do because at the end of the day, I bought the tag, so I should be able to shoot whatever I want because I paid for it. Right. Okay. Um, but I'd say after a few years, it was definitely welcome because they saw the, the age structure of the deer gradually increase and those bucks get bigger. And obviously everybody wants to shoot a big buck. Nobody's technically or proud of shooting this year and a half year old six point yeah if that's the case then they they kind of say well I, I needed to fill the freezer yes okay all right so in your area right um or or maybe different areas where antler point restrictions were implemented did you hear like the rumbles of the community, you know, you, you mentioned it kind of turned back positive the, you know, Hey, well, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily want these antler point restrictions. We don't want any of these restrictions. Do you feel that some of those people then changed their mind once they were able to experience a couple hunting seasons with antler point restrictions? Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. What was that like? Uh, 
I always, you know, from the beginning, I was kind of in favor of it because I had seen uh, those six and eight point year and a half year old bucks, and I already let them go because I saw even before like my dad hunting and my grandfather hunting and my uncle hunting and all shooting these big, well, I don't know, the big around here, 110 inch eight points back then uh, before the APRs. And I saw what they were like. And everybody, when a buck like that was shot, everybody was like, holy cow, that thing's huge. And there's so much excitement um, and almost prestige with that, that once people started to see deer like that and hear about deer like that, everybody wanted that. Yeah. Yeah. So people started joining the, the antler point restriction bandwagon because, you know, everybody loves big bucks and people were seeing more big bucks. Yep. Okay. So let me ask you this question because I think it might, it might play into what people believe. Do, do you hunt or are, is there a lot of public hunting in your area do you hunt on public do you hunt on private because there's this there's this stipulation where okay well michigan or this uh, stereotype that michigan is a you know all their public land is high pressured it all gets pounded and it's it all results in no you know no big bucks so talk to us a little bit about where you hunt. Is there a lot of public ground around where you hunt? Do you hunt private, public? What's your breakdown? Uh, I hunt private uh, for most of the part. Um, but bordering on our private land, there's actually HAP land, which is hunters accessing private lands. Um, the thing that DNR does is obviously give the public um, more land that they can hunt that they otherwise wouldn't because it's, like farmland or whatever that farmers can't farm. So we'll have like these small 10 to even 400 acre parcels where hunters can't farm it because it's swamp or hilly hardwoods. So they'll lease it to um, the DNR so hunters can access that. But on top of that, there's a pretty good uh, amount of public land. We have a lot of state and national forests around me. Um, I think there's thousand acres within 45 minutes of where I live. Um, there's even more down where I go to college. And um, I realized that I had only hunted private and that I would get a lot of pushback from even my friends, the people that I talked to about um, hunting. They'd just say, oh, you just hunt private. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know deer. So... I took one of my roommates that had never gone hunting, hadn't grown up with it. Uh, he lived in Southern Michigan, still does. But I took him out to public land after doing um, topical, uh, like mapping, uh, scouting through. I just went on Onyx, and I found this spot, like probably three-quarters of a mile to a mile back in this uh, public land that wasn't accessible unless you went on foot. So it had this little... Um, hilltop um, with a pinch and inside both pinch there were these uh, river bottoms so and they were dried out but I went to I'd call it a little pond or swale so I went back there and I was like this looks like a great spot opened up perfectly uh, acorns on the flat tops and I was like this is where we're going to hunt and I'm being dead serious here you can ask uh, my friend anytime you want within two minutes of being there he's like holy cow, there's a big-ass buck right there. And I looked up or whatever. I didn't see it, but he said there's this monster buck, biggest buck he's ever seen, and I'd only been there a couple minutes. So I'd definitely say public land near accessibility is pressured because people don't want to put up in the work. But when you do in Michigan, you're gifted highly, um, and you're rewarded for your efforts. Okay. So it, it, it all sounds to me like it kind of boils down to the, the APR, right? The APR, in your opinion, is working. And the, so not only are there good numbers in, Michi in your part of Michigan, but the APR seem to be working on, on obviously private, but public as well. Yeah. And uh, that public land that I even scouted, 
and it's in central uh, to lower Michigan, and they're not even an APR area. Okay. All right. So what parts of Michigan do you know have antler point restrictions? Uh, the northwestern uh, quarter of the Lower Peninsula. Okay. And then do you know if there's any rumblings within the state of Michigan to implement antler point restrictions uh, in more of the state? There was, there's been a huge push um, by that group I belong to on Facebook where we're trying to get a statewide uh, APRs put into place um, just because we've seen um, how much they work and how beneficial they are to not only the hunting community, but also the state economy. Because if we become a big buck state like Ohio, Wisconsin, Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, uh, that brings in a whole lot of revenue for the state. Yeah. Yeah, someone someone told me that, God, I forget who I was talking to. They said that if Michigan let more deer walk, they would have, like, the genetics in that state are so good that they there would be monsters everywhere if they shot less if they shot less bucks and more does so let's just for for you know i don't know for just discussion purposes for for the guy out there who doesn't give a shit about uh antlers are there enough does in the in the areas of it's let's just use your uh, area for example that you hunt in that northwest michigan are there enough does to supplement, I guess, the fork horns that aren't being shot? Let's say if someone, you know, if someone says, hey, I, I, want, I just want to fill my freezer. Are there enough does in the area to take that on? Oh, 100%. Okay. So, uh-huh. so someone really can't There'll use a- that as an excuse. No. Okay. There'll be times where I'll sit and I'll see 45 deer and 35 of them will be does. There's just, around me, they're, even on public land, um, let's just say, in a lesser quality um, believed to be, anyhow, uh, county up here. Like, so just say Calcasia County. Um, you'll sit on public land, and you'll see those 15 does in one set if you truly know how to scout uh, public land and you go where other people aren't, away from those access sites. Um, in wetlands where people just don't want to be. It's yeah. too hard for them, too much effort for them to go and find these deer. Um, you'll see 15, 20 does, to three to four bucks. Okay. So with all that said then, um, is tra- traditionally, let's take antler point restrictions out of the equation and we were to talk about the best possible place to hunt in Michigan if you're looking for a, a mature buck. Where Where is that? Uh, hardwood, uh, fingers going in a swamp. No, I mean, I mean, what part of the state? What part of the state? North, south, oh. east, west? Um, I have family that lives down uh, Plainwell, in Plainwell near Kalamazoo, uh, and every year there's this monster... 10 points, 12 points, even up to, I think, 18 point was shot down there last year. Um, so southern Michigan definitely holds the box closer to the Ohio border, and uh, just because of the fact that Ohio is that close. So a lot of the Michigan hunters that live down there, there's been some the DNR not um, putting animals down there. They have not but they all right so if you were gonna sit here and, and talk to me about some of the best places in the state of michigan to hunt is it the northern northern michigan is it southern michigan east west where are some of the the best places to hunt in the state i would probably say if i only had like three or four days come hunt Michigan. Um, based on what I know, um, I'd either hunt down by Kalamazoo, Michigan, um, just because there's a decent amount of public land down there. 
um, bigger bucks just because you are closer to Ohio. Um, and a lot of people won't even hunt Michigan and live down there. We'll just go to Ohio just because they're so fed up um, with the DNR, not putting APR restrictions and whatnot um, on because they've seen what it's done up in northern Michigan. Um, but if you have all the knowledge available to you, um, I'd probably say the best um, part, in my opinion, would be up in northwestern uh, Michigan and lower peninsula just because of the APRs. Okay. All right. So so the antler point restrictions, in your opinion, are making a such a big impact to the in in the state, that part of the state, that you're you're confident that your part of the state where you hunt that has the APRs is some of the best hunting in the state of Michigan. Yeah, and if if nobody believes me they can just look up um, the age class numbers or even the pictures on Michigan where people consistently pull out uh, Lel- out of Lelanau County, Antrim County, Charlevoix County, Grand Traverse County, all these 130, 140-inch bucks out of northern Michigan, um, which is basically unheard of yeah. before four or five years ago. Yeah. So the statistics are there, right? They're, they're there yeah, to the back it up. Yeah, back it up to say that, you know, hey, APRs are, are working in our state. Um, and why, in your opinion, why don't you think that APRs are being implemented in other parts of the state? Uh, just because of the people that, um, like we were talking about earlier, uh, just they think just because they bought the tag, they should be able to shoot whatever they want. They're just, they have the mentality of if it's brown it's down yeah um just because they haven't had in my opinion may not had the information or the education on the subject brought about right and it sounds to me though that once they are you know once the band-aid is ripped off right and it sucks that first year i can't shoot that buck because it's against the law now but the next year when they shoot, uh, you know, their first 110-inch deer or 120-inch deer or whatever it is, then it almost takes seeing is believing. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. I get a lot of crap from my friends that I go to college with. I'll send them, like, videos on Snapchat of me letting them please, me letting them go a two-and-a-half to three-and-a-half-year-old eight-point just walk and I'll just take videos of it as it walks within 10 to 15 yards of me. Yeah. And, uh, they think you're crazy for that. Yeah. They're like, why wouldn't you shoot that? And I'm like, because I've seen what happens when you let those two and a half, three and a half year old bucks go before they make that giant jump at four and a half years old. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds to me like you're a firm believer in antler point restrictions and that uh, maybe uh, some other hunters in the state of Michigan should uh, maybe get on board with that. Yeah, you you definitely say that. Okay. All right. So now I'm going to pick your brain a little bit because it sounds to me like you've hunted in, in the southern part of the state and you've hunted in the northern part of the state. Um I'm still, I'm still, I don't have any plans set in stone yet as far as where I'm hunting. I have some friends who have given me some intel in the southern part of the state, uh, um, some public ground and uh, that kind of stuff. But I also have some buddies who live in the northern part of the state and they, you know, they're telling me, hey, if you want to come up here, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's any of those antler point restriction counties, but. You know, there's a, there's a ton of public up there as well. So if you were me and you were going to come to Michigan, and I think you kind of already answered that, but I have three, four, I'm going to be there for three or four days and I'm going to hunt full bore. It's going to be mid October. Where do you think my time should be spent? Uh, obviously in the tree, (laughs) but On top of that, uh, I'd say where I am, because um, there's so much public land around here. You'll have state 
lands, uh, wildlife refuges that you can hunt up here. And the coolest thing about here is there will be days and the possibility of seeing that 130-inch buck or having a, just a giant elk walk through. And then you're just like, you're blown back that not only have you seen white-tailed deer in one sit, you've also seen an elk just walk, just stroll through. Yeah, that's uh, um, that's pretty unique. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely a lot of big bucks held up here in uh, public land. Um, and obviously, uh, you have the knowledge of scouting, thermos, uh, wind, all that uh, to know where to shoot deer that most people don't and haven't researched enough up in up here or even southern Michigan to truly know how to hunt the bucks that have the genes that we have here. Yeah, yeah. So as of as of this point, you know, all my intel and all the places where I would uh, connect with buddies have most of it has been in, in southern um, southern. Uh, Michigan and I want to talk about northern Michigan here in a second but what what should I expect from in your in your opinion what should I expect on an average public piece mid-october in southern Michigan uh, a whole lot of pressure yeah already um, yep okay uh, I've hunted down there um, some it's just it's so hard for me to go down and hunt the pressured land down there when I can come up here um, and sit in my spots that I've killed deer in year and year after year after year, um, yeah. and even week after week, just because of um, how low the pressure is up here. Um, but downstate, if you dig deep enough, like uh, where I did down near Big Rapids, um, it's in the Haymarsh state land. Um, if you go deep enough, you'll find and you'll see big bucks and a whole lot of deer. And not only sign, but you'll see the deer, even midday. Like we went back there at 2.30 in the afternoon after class in between them. And we saw that buck back there just walking around. Okay. So if you get past um, that pressured area around like the parking lots or the access points, even along the main road, You'll find deer, and they'll move early. Um, like I told you on Instagram, those mature bucks are already moving midday and middle of October on state land or public land. Yeah, but you just have to go deep to find them. Yep. Okay, all right. Um, so is this just – because I've interviewed a lot of guys from Michigan. Uh, some of them have been successful. Some of them have been average. Um and, you know, some of them would probably disagree with what you're saying, right? If you're, if you're saying, oh, dude, I, I know a place in Michigan where the bucks are up on their feet midday in mid-October, yep. you know, some people would think you're full of shit, right? Why, mm-hmm. why do you believe this? Is this just all past experience saying I've actually seen it with my own eyes type stuff? It, it's not only past experience. It's also trail cam photos and personal kills where I've gotten the tree. Um, I'll hustle home from college and I go hunting and I'll see mature bucks on their feet at four o'clock in the afternoon when it doesn't get dark till eight thirty nine o'clock. Yeah. Okay. And that is, and that's, that's not only on private ground, but public ground as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like I was just telling you a few minutes ago, we saw that mature white tail buck at 2 30 in the afternoon just strolling through um probably just got out of his bed we might have woke him up but because uh, we were deep in swamp bottom that um was off of hardwoods so okay they're moving you don't yeah. see them even on the side of the roads just driving through at 2 33 o'clock in the afternoon okay and that's up north by you or, or down a possibility down where i might hunt both okay all right yep. well i tell you what talking with you is getting me a little bit more excited to come to michigan and hunt because 
I don't have a problem going really deep into wherever I'm going to hunt, right? I, I have no problem walking a couple miles back in and, you know, busting balls for like three or four days to try to get the job done. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit more excited after talking to you about this. Now, when I come down to, if I was to come up to northern Michigan to you uh, in, in your area, is it a completely mm-hmm. different ball game as far as terrain? What should, what would I expect? What would I expect to see if I came up in your neck of the woods? Whole lot of hills, whole lot of hardwoods, and a decent amount of cedar swamp. Okay, and where are the deer spending most of their time up there? Um, see, that varies uh, because and where it's mostly hardwoods to ag, um, they're camping. Yeah, camping or bedding, um, just on little flat fingers, um, just off of the hardwoods, just at a vantage point of basically the surrounding low grounds. Okay. So it's more of a wherever there is good bedding, that's where you're going to be seeing them that time of year. Okay. Are they, are they pretty true to a pattern that time of year still? Because there's not necessarily a ton of ag to, because even, you know, even going from October 1st here in Iowa to where, you know, I hunt your typical woods to ag, you know, daily routine, right? And then in the rut, the does are still going from bed to ag or woods to ag you know they're going from point a to point b just like they do every other day but now the bucks are following them right and yeah bucks cruise but for the most part they're still following the does which are doing the same thing that they've always done the entire year um when there's when there's not a a main food source like there is here in iowa what is what's your experience with what they're doing throughout a a day in mid-October? They're getting out of their bed uh, probably about at 2.30, 3 o'clock, and they're normally hitting the acorns first where I hunt, and then they'll go out to, um, like, the grassy areas just to feed uh, some on their stomach, and then they'll go down. Um, The easiest way to put this is I'll just explain where I shoot, where I shot my 129-inch uh, what I'd say seven point just because the brow is broken off. Um, and then we shot like 120 inch, uh, eight point last year. They get out of their bed. Um, that's on that area that I explained you the grassy finger. We'll go down to the acorns in the, like the bottom of these hills and they'll hit those and they'll come up and feed it in the grass. And then I, I hunt by a lake, and then we'll go down and get a drink, then back up. I bed on the other side of that grassy browse. Then in the morning, we'll just go back across, graze across the grassy um, ag, and we'll go down and then just go to bed. They'll pass those acorns. But they're consistently on those acorns at 3 o'clock to 3.30 before they hit that grass. Okay. So not only lack of pressure but they don't typically have there's not a main food source so it's almost like they just get up out of their beds early to start to browse right they're just they're not really going anywhere fast they're just kind of hitting acorn trees in their nightly circle or their nightly pattern yep okay um that's and I used to hunt on the other side of that grassy, um, like, ag land. So I wouldn't see those bucks until almost dark. Well, still within shooting light, but I realized that that's what they were doing. They were still in their summertime pattern that I'd scouted all year, starting in the end of June. Um, so I, like, slowly and surely worked my way around the trees working that, um, thinking about the wind. Uh, thinking different ways to hunt that wind. And then I finally settled on this big old maple tree on the corner of where the ag land um, and the trough or whatever come from 
acorns, and I'll, that's when I'll see the bucks early, and I'll shoot them right as they're walking into the ag. Okay. I'll, you just watch them fall. So that so that's um, that's mid October, or is that type yeah. like all types all times of year? Uh, I'd say that quits right around um, pre rut. Okay, so how do they change up there? What what are their patterns, and how do they change moving uh, moving on into the the late October pre rut time frame? They move later, um, so that's why I messaged you and said in early October they're up on their feet early. Okay, um, and that's when I like to shoot them because they're still in that summertime feeding pattern and they're moving early. Um, so that's just when it's easiest to kill them. Is come pre-rut, there's, after the APR, there's all a bunch of stud bucks just running around. Like, I'll see bachelor groups where all of them are eight points and above and at least 110 inches, every single one of them. And so there's obviously a lot of pressure on the does from the different size bucks. So those bucks will start to move more and move at different times just to um, try to corral those does. Yeah. So when rock comes and they're in heat that they can breed them. Yeah. Man, that's interesting because typically what happens is you, the movement is late and then gets earlier. And you're saying that in some of the places that you have your tree stand locations, the later into October it gets, the later these bucks come out. Is that because of pressure or is that because they're they're adding additional stops into their I don't know, their daily routine? I'd probably say they're adding additional stops to go to more of the bedding areas around them to uh see those does and to um almost corral those does or let them know that they'll be ready when the rut starts. Yeah. So they're hitting more spots. They're going out of their way to go to the doe bedding areas to groom those does for mating. Okay. Man, that's crazy. It's because it, it almost sounds the opposite of what I would do here in Iowa, right? Like I don't, I'm to the point now where I'm taking out of state trips, you know, to go hunt different species in early October, mid October. Uh, you know, I know the patterns of the deer where I hunt fairly well, but and you're telling a lot of you're sharing a lot of information with a lot of people by saying that on this podcast but it's just crazy how you have found what works for you in a almost opposite world you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like it's opposite world i mean you're you're doing things different um just to kind of prove your point when what dates do you kill most of your deer uh, mid-October, um, right to early November. By then, I'm normally done uh, buck hunting. Yeah. Um, I, I shot my second buck, so I tagged out November 2nd last year. I shot him at, uh, like, I believe it was like 10 to 15 minutes for a legal shooting I ended. Uh, I'd seen this eight-point come through, probably a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. I saw him. Um, I didn't think he was old enough to shoot, so I let him go but I wanted to get a better look at him. So I hit the ground call and he started to come back and he got pretty skittish and uh, kind of bolted off. And I heard something crunch behind me. So I turned behind and I just saw this giant body deer walking through and I saw that it was heavy and that it had at least uh, four on one side and the belly was sagging, back was caved in. So I didn't even look at the antlers after that, and I smoked at like seven yards on a mock scrape. Um, just I, hunt, I was hunting this little funnel between ag field and ag field. Um, so they were moving through, and that tagged out my ear. Huh. Just, so, so, so mid October, the second half of October is when you're killing most of your deer. Okay. I shot, well, I'd say mid, um, just because I, I shot one earlier. I shot one like October 6th, um, and I think I hit it in the shoulder. Um, got some good blood. It bedded pretty quick, but I never recovered the deer. Okay. Um, but that was a pretty big hit. And then, but I shot um, a different buck out of the same tree uh, a week later. 
Uh, so I, it was October 13th or 14th, and I shot him, and uh, he was three-and-a-half, four-and-a-half-year-old buck. Um, they are just doing the same exact pattern that they did the week before. Okay. So from an age class, what's your goal every year? Uh, probably three-and-a-half or above, um, just because in Michigan, that's still pretty good. Um, but if I have the choice, obviously, of a bachelor group moving that early between a three and a half and a four and a half, even if that four and a half has a smaller rack, I'm going to take the older deer. Just because if that younger three and a half year old buck is already bigger antler wise than the older buck, I'm just imagine what's going to be the next year. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, are there any, whether I hunt Southern Michigan or I hunt Northern Michigan, is there anything else that I need to know or tips or tricks or tactics that you want to share with me about hunting Michigan? Um, pack, um, light, uh, warm weather clothes and then cold weather clothes. Um, because in Michigan, uh, in the morning or whatever, it'll be 30, 40 degrees in the morning and then come three o'clock, four o'clock when you're just getting in that stand after your walk it'll be 75 80 degrees right right mosquitoes so, do i have to worry about mosquitoes uh, not that bad where i hunt in uh early october they normally die down um mid-september okay all right so but if you're hunting swamp, you're gonna want um mosquito stuff in early october so all right cool uh what uh Am I am I am I going to run into a lot of people uh, like at some of this this public ground that I'm going to be hunting? I mean, people say pressured, right? And and then I I have a lot of people who say cause so when when I hear someone say this ground is pressured, I think of multiple trucks at a parking lot. I'm I feel like I'm going to walk into a place and there's already going to be guys there, or I'm going to have multiple guys walk in on me. Is is that is that just a like is that the worst case scenario or is that average in your opinion? I'd probably say that's the worst. Um, but like I told you, you're gonna have to go a decent uh, ways from those access points. You'll see all those trucks or whatever, and but you'll walk right past those hunters because normally they're less than half a mile away from the access point just because they just got off of work. They didn't have the time to scout during the summer or whatever and find and venture into those deeper points to find those rub lines in the swamp or find where those fingers of hardwoods um, go in or the just the isolated oak tree in the swamps. Um, so they're going to be closer just because they just got out of work and they don't want to mess up. Um that buck pushing it in any farther they're just going to hope that something comes out that ways um but i'd say once you get in you whole lot less pressure and and it'll be pretty rare to run into somebody deep okay all right well like i said man I, i'm really starting to get jacked about this trip now um now i on another podcast i was talking to my buddy mark about uh the state food like Iowa is pork tenderloins, right? We have pork tenderloins everywhere. Is there a a state food that I need to try while I'm in Michigan? See, I, I listen to both of those podcasts. Um, I listen to Mark every week. Um, but, and I, I gave this one a lot of thought, and he hit the nail on the head for the Upper Peninsula because that's 100% pasty. Um, and that's the same I wouldn't say it's the same with down where I'm at. I'd say right here it's it's mostly uh, smoked whitefish um, or smoked salmon. But that that'd probably be the two staple foods, or like Mark said, anything fried. What's a pasty or a patsy? A patsy is uh, basically um, a jumbo-sized pierogi with uh, meat and vegetables on the inside. Okay. Um, so, do you know what shepherd's pie is? Yep. It's basically shepherd's pie with dough on the outside. 
Okay. So it's in a ball, basically. Uh, no, I'd basically say it's in a half shell. Okay. Um, like a tortilla shell. Not made of that when it's folded over. Okay. All right. And then, uh, well, I can't ask you that question because you're 19, so I don't want to put you in a hot spot. Oh, I, I, I can tell you about beer and whiskey and all that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, when I was 19, I uh, when I was 19, I was probably in the same boat you were, but uh, I just won't ask. <laughs> so uh, I, I, I can tell you what my stepdad drink. Okay, what's your stepdad drink? Uh, there's really good. Uh, there's a lot of micro breweries and stuff up here, and obviously downstate, like um, you said, like uh, Bell's. Um, yep. Up here, it's really big. It's called Shorts. Um, the guy actually started the company. Uh, he went to the same high school I did in Kalkaska, and he started brewing beer in his mother's basement. Oh, nice. Um, and now it's just this pretty big brewery. It's pretty much statewide. Um, but whiskey up here, you'll have uh, Traverse City Whiskey, um, Iron Fish, and then something that's like Ethanology. Um, and you'll have Foggy Mountain. And uh, Foggy Mountain Salted Caramel Whiskey, I heard, tastes very, very yeah. good. Yeah, I'm uh, sure you did. Same with Traverse City <laughs> Cherry. But, but that's all, that's Hearsay. all secondhand. Secondhand information. Yeah, yeah I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. All right, man. Well, hey, uh, thanks for your time. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, hyping me up about Michigan because I think I needed it, to be honest with you. So uh, I'm going to I'm gonna stroll into Michigan with a shit ton more confidence now after talking with you about uh, connecting with, you know, at least a three-year-old. And uh, uh, thank you, and good luck this upcoming fall, man. All right, appreciate it, and if you decide to come up here, let me know. I can try to point you in a, a pretty decent spot um, because I've scouted all these public land spots. I normally just college gets me so busy where I normally don't even have time to hunt. And there you have it. Huge shout out to Trevor. Thanks for taking time out of your day to hop on and chat with us today. Huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast: Ozonix, Wasp, Lone Wolf the average conservationist and vortex optics please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because uh, at the end of the day they support me and i can continue to put out kick-ass interviews like this for your listening pleasure thank you very much for tuning in please go out and make an impact in 2020 whether it is volunteering your time or i don't know maybe joining a conservation effort or paying close attention to the merger between uh, the, the National Deer Alliance and the QDMA and uh, follow along with that and uh, maybe just volunteer, take somebody out fishing that's never been fishing, take somebody out hunting that's never been hunting, give back here in 2020. Thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next time. <music>